how do we have those difficult conversations at work, at home, without second guessing what we should have said or what the other person is thinking and feeling during and after the conversation? If we want everyone to come out of the conversation with positive feelings and a clear idea of their action items, we need to set that up for a successful conversation with the best possible outcome. This week, my guest is Roberta Matuson, and she just wrote a book called Can We Talk? Principles for Managing Difficult Conversations at Work. There's so much value here. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, her special offer, which you can get at the end of the podcast. And please enjoy the podcast and let us know what you think reach out to me or Roberta. You'll find the links on my website at janetfouts.com. And if you really love this podcast, hey, share it, like it, tell your friends. Thank you. Hey, Roberta, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really got a lot out of the book and I love the stories that you work into the book as well. So thank you and, and welcome for being here. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you like Can We Talk? It's, you know, one of those books that, you know, has been in my head for years. So I'm really glad that uh, I got the words out on to the pages. (laughs) I thought the title was really great because how many times have we talked to a manager or a coworker or our kids and thought, can we talk? Exactly. And and we all have the same reaction, right? Like, oh no, <laughs> what's right? coming next? Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you know, I I read in the book that I talk about shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, and how we are always, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. And there's so much self judgment in that, and a lot of times we're really second guessing what the other person thought because we're all in our own heads and not really thinking about them so much, huh? Oh, I totally agree. So here's what I should have written. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, you talked in the book about a situation where someone was really second guessing how to deal with their manager. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those stories that we tell ourselves and what we should be doing about that. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to come to the realization that we're very fortunate and that no one is shooting at us. And so even if we have to have one of those difficult conversations with our boss or with an employee, we're going to come out of it and we're going to be a-okay. And we may even be better than how we entered into that conversation. So I think when we get out of our heads and we figure out that I'm going to still be breathing when this is over... And one day I will put this in my book, (laughs) this story. Um, I think that that's a really great way to set yourself up for a successful conversation. Yeah, you know, and and I may survive this and it might actually be better for both of us, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have everything that I write about and, and this book, Can We Talk? This is my sixth book. And everything that I write about is based on what's happened in my life. And some of the stuff has not been very good, you know, from a leadership perspective. And I think to myself, man, if I didn't have like the worst boss ever, like what would I write about? And, you know, my sweetest revenge is the fact that I have, you know, 
used everything that I have learned from her. And I put this in my book, like, don't do this. And if everything had gone really smoothly, you know, you and I probably wouldn't be talking today. <laughs> well, that's turning lemonade and lemons into lemonade, isn't it? It certainly is. But I didn't know any other way to cope with it. <laughs> mm. Well, that's the thing is that we all go through stuff, including the other party in the conversation, our bosses or employees, whoever it is. And we kind of forget that, you know, we get so self-focused that we just think about our side of it. And we don't really think about making things a little bit richer. Um, you know, we talk, I read a little bit about relationship building, for example, in the book, obviously. And you said something that was, let me just quote you, you never know you're going to need to ask someone for something if you've made some trust deposits in that account that you have with this person, then you stand a good chance of being able to make a withdrawal. And I just love that idea of trust deposits. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you have, if you've made these deposits all along and you make a, a small mistake, you know, you can recover. You make an apology and the other person's like, hey, I get it, no problem. But man, if you haven't built that relationship up and then you do something really not cool, you're, you're done, right? Because that other person is not going to be very forgiving. They have no reason to accept your apology. Um, you have not built any trust with them. And so, you know, I think that trust is one of the core principles of any relationship. And if you don't have that, then it's, it's very difficult to have one of these awkward conversations. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. I like the story that you had about your, your daughter going to the bank for the first time at the age of seven, good for you and your husband for sending a seven-year-old into the bank. And it sounds like the bank manager didn't do such a good job at really setting things up for her. No, my daughter was very perplexed because my husband had taken her into the bank so that she could open up a savings account. And um, she was, this, the story was she was supposed to be earning interest and even at 1%, you know, maybe at the time it was 3%, but certainly seemed like a lot of money to her. And to find out that after the bank took its fees, um, that she would come out with less money than she put in, she just said to her father, like, this isn't right. <laughs> and, and she was right. Uh, to, in, in her defense, she was right. My, the person, the bank manager setting up the account didn't set it up as a passport account, which is what they promote to get young people interested in saving. And there are no fees on those accounts as long as your parent banks there. So, you know, so she made a mistake, right? But yeah, my daughter just took her piggy bank and she just left. That was it. I love that. A lot of confidence for a seven-year-old. That's great. Oh, she still has a lot of moxie. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's talk a little bit about ways to establish that trust. And we can start with that bank example as a way to, you know, okay, I'm here, I'm trying to sell something, which is certainly an element of sales, but also about management. So how can we develop more trust? Well, you know, management is about really doing what you say you'll do. And so how often has a manager said to you, oh, I'll get back to you? 
<laughs> it's like a week later, two weeks later, like, uh, hello, where are you? Right. And, it, and it's doing simple things. It's like doing what you say you will do. And it's always amazing to me that some of these very simplistic ideas are not executed well. And so if you're a manager and you say to someone, I'm going to get back to you on this particular date and you can't, all you have to do is just send a quick text or email saying, Hey, uh, can't, I don't have the answer. Let's shoot for Friday. Boom, done and, and move on. So it's really about, you know, it comes down to communication. Yeah. Yeah. And also just consistency. I mean, if I can't rely on you one day and the next day, oh yeah, everything's fine. And then the next day I can't rely on you again. We're pretty much done as far as trust goes. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, I've been a leader. I, you know, was an executive at age 24 years old when I was 24. I mean, I get it, but man, I'd rather have a mediocre performer on my team, like who was consistently mediocre than somebody who one day was fantastic and the next day, like a train wreck. So at least I know who is showing up. Yeah. And I can work with that person, right? I can help them get better. The person who is great one day and careless the next that just, it doesn't work for me. It, it confuses me. So, yeah. 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 It's very, I don't confusing. trust them. Right. I don't trust them. Yeah. And it's disruptive to the team as well. So yes, from that manager with your manager hat on thinking about that one person in the team of say 10 people who is constantly up and down and back and forth, and they're just never quite the same. That's disruptive to the team. So how do we talk to them? And then how do we talk to the team? Well, first we have to talk to ourselves (laughs) and we have to ask ourselves, why on earth am I putting up with this? Because my guess is that if this is what's going on, um, you're spending probably 80% of your energy on that person. Mm -hmm. And that's the rest of the people are just being left, you know, to fend for themselves. And that's not really fair. And so I think the first conversation has to be with yourself and asking yourself, why am I even permitting this to continue? Like I have an issue and I need to handle it and I need to handle it now. Mm. Yeah. And then what about managing, talking to the team about the same thing? Well, I think you have to be careful because you don't want to tell the team that, you know, well, I'm speaking to your coworker about this situation. (laughs) And guess what? Your team isn't going to really believe that you're going to do anything about it because you haven't all this time. So I think the best way to get that message across to the team is to do what you say you will do. And that is, you know, have those consistent messages and conversations with that individual and either get them on track or, or you know, find them a new destination in another organization. Mm. Find them a new job. Bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, a lot of my work as an executive coach, it revolves around these kinds of conversations. So yes. Yeah, yeah. So okay, we're going to sit down with this employee, and we're going to try to talk to them about what is going on with you. And that's when curiosity really plays into these conversations, doesn't it? Yes, it does, which is one of the principles. And, and, you know, when you ask that question, you really you have to ask it in a way that shows them that you really do want to know, like, you know, Hey, what gives, you know, not like, you know, what's going on. It's like, you know, what gives I'm confused. Like you do this work Mm. so well. And then there are days that 
I don't know who handed this in. And just, you know, be very curious and ask a lot of follow-up questions. And, and you may find that the problem isn't really the employee. It could be a training problem. It could be like, well, this is how I was taught how to do it. Isn't this how it's done? Well, right. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it could also be something completely external. You know, I, I work with a lot of caregivers and, you know, in the workplace, they don't always tell everybody else that, you know, they're caring for a parent or a family member or a kid that's ill. All of those things can be happening too. And sometimes we don't bring that empathy and compassion forward in a management situation where we can mm -hmm. actually say, you know, yesterday you were really on and today you were really off. So what can we do about that? Well, you know, it's, it's very true. So often we have no idea what's going on. Well, I'd say we have a lot more idea now what's going on because oh, of yeah. COVID and everybody right. on Zoom. And I'm like, what is that behind you? What is that little person doing? You know, like, <laughs> oh, well, that's my, you know, that's my two-year-old, you know, biting the head of my dog. Like, oh, okay, you might want to get on that. You know, so now we do have a better idea, you know, before we were able to, as employees, shield our bosses. They had no idea what the stresses are that were going, that were, that were happening in our lives. And, you know, I was writing about this the other day that I feel like, you know, some of the silver lining in this whole pandemic is <clears throat> that leaders, at least the leaders that I'm working with are, are more empathetic. They mm -hmm. get it. They they get what it's like to be a caregiver now, right? If their spouse or their kid is ill and, right. or if they have COVID, like they have to be the caregiver. Whereas before, maybe that wasn't, maybe they were lucky. They had a family that was very healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've all experienced a lot more stress over the last couple of years and, and that's <laughs> yeah. in the workplace. And it does kind of level I don't know if I would say level the playing field, but it does help us all kind of relate to each other a little bit better, right? I think so. I'd like to hope so. At least the leaders that I'm working with, I definitely see there's no more like, what do you mean you can't get that done tonight? Or because <laughs> they're looking around and they're like, holy cow, their house is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also, you know, we're seeing a lot of understaffing, you know, which is, is another issue that mm. came up in the book about, look, dude, I don't have the people to get what you asked me to do done. So, you know, that's, and that's very, a very common conversation that we're all having now is that it's like, yeah, everybody's working from Cabo and I can't really get them, you know, to get everything <laughs> done. It's just not working. So, you know, if we get into that situation where it becomes a very challenging conversation, how can we kind of dial that back just a little bit? If things get heated, how do we slow things down and, you know, kind of come back to a more grounded place in the conversation? Well, as I write in the book, um, sometimes it's good to take a pause and just say, you know, it seems like this is a good place for us to just pause. Let's just take a stop right here and let's reconvene this conversation tomorrow when we both have had time to really process um, what was said and, and um, you know, and let's take our calendars out and schedule that now. Mm. Mm. That's very proactive too. Yeah, I like that. 
Well, we you're often, not going to get anything accomplished, right? If the two of you are like, it's not my fault. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. Like, you know, <laughs> it, nothing's going to get done. So if it gets to that place where you're like, man, we're just going around in circles here, or they're not hearing me, then mm-hmm. I think it's really good to, you know, dial it back, come together after you've had some time to both have, get some clarity and, and move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would that be a place where you'd give them some action items to go, okay, I'd like you to come back with your data or, you know, something else that wouldn't be combative, but just would give them a task to do to kind of stay focused on a topic? Yeah, I think that's a great idea in asking them, you know, well, why don't you come back when we meet tomorrow and reconvene? Why don't you come up with a couple of suggestions as to how you would like us to proceed? What do you think that you can do to improve this situation? And what do you need from me? Mm, Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's great. So let's say, for example, that I've been having trouble with a coworker and I've been letting it slide and letting it slide, covering up for their work, all of that kind of stuff. And now I'm starting to really regret that, you know, and sometimes we just do that. (laughs) But, you know, we need to make a behavior shift there. We need to change the way that we're relating to this person. So do you have some kind of tools that we can bring to that so that we can, you know, get off our duff and move forward instead of just feeling sorry for ourselves all the time? Well, you know, listen, the behavior that that person is having and demonstrating to you they're probably doing the same thing to others and it's really not in their best interest. And so if you can help them by, you know, having a conversation with them and letting them know how their actions are impacting you and your ability to get your work done, then I think you're actually doing them a favor because maybe nobody else wants to tell them. And eventually (laughs) the boss is going to catch on and they're not going to have a job. So, Mm -hmm. you know, consider yourself, the savior in this situation. And, you know, after a while, I think you're going to just tire of why am I the one who has to pick up everything? And why am I the one who has to clean up after this person? And, and it gets exhausting. So it's better to have these conversations when you notice that there's an issue, because the longer you wait, the harder it gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to have, you know, that conversation. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to have that conversation, especially if the person's a little bit combative or, you know, maybe you're just looking at completely different goals. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one of the purposes of my book when I wrote it is I specifically wrote it for advice for people who are also having to need, need to have a conversation with a coworker or their boss. Like this book isn't just a book for leaders who need to have these difficult conversations. It's for you if you have to have a conversation that may be a little awkward with a coworker or your boss. And Mm -hmm. so that's the real differentiator here. And I did that on purpose because I noticed that there really wasn't anything like that on the bookshelves. And I thought, well, if there isn't anything, I'll write it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So you write in the book about the four factors to consider when you're preparing for this challenging conversation. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Well, I'll tell you about a factor that people really need to consider right now. 
because <clears throat> this is in the here and now, our conversation, and that is really location. And I say that because a lot of these conversations are now happening remotely. And I don't know, you and I are having this conversation. And um, for those of you who are listening, we're actually also seeing one another. But I have no idea what's going on in those other rooms. You know, for all I know, like, you know, you could have like put your kid in his crib and said, you know, cry it out. I'm busy or whatever. So or your spouse could be walking by at any moment and could overhear the conversation. So I think it's really important um, to say to the person that you're going to have a conversation with. And when you're setting it up, just saying, you know, is there a place where we can speak um, where where you have some privacy? Mm, definitely. Because a lot of these conversations, I don't want my spouse to hear, like my boss, like saying, you know, if this doesn't happen, you're out of here. You know, I'm embarrassed. I don't want anyone. I don't want my kids to hear this. And so I think in this environment, it's so important to understand that, you know, location matters. And because we can't control that, it's mm -hmm. super important to ask that question. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And what other things can people do? Like if you're going to prepare for that conversation, um, what do we do about mindset? How do we get ourselves in the right space to have that conversation with this person? Well, again, as I mentioned, when we had started our conversation, you know, you just have to sit down and have a conversation with yourself and say, you know what, in the end, we're going to get through this. We're both still going to be standing. Okay. Maybe one of us will be packing up our office, but you know, in the end, everyone will be okay. And, you know, if I don't have this conversation now and I wait, it's only going to get worse. And I'm not doing this person a favor. Yeah. And you're certainly not doing yourself favor, a favor either, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really really enjoyed a lot of different, there's a lot of different perspectives in the book and a lot of different ways to look at these conversations. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the nonviolent communication kind <laughs> of way of looking at these. And, and I think that really plays into how we talk to people and people do bounce off the words nonviolent communication because everybody says, oh, I'm not violent. I'm just really grumpy <laughs> or whatever it is they say. <laughs> But, you know, it's true that we can escalate conversations really quickly by, you know, just saying specific trigger words that aren't triggers for us, but they're triggers for that person. Um, so I don't know if you have advice on how to manage um, the verbiage that we use to really do, should we be thinking these things through and scripting them out for days? Or should we just be a little more centered and grounded with how we talk to people? Well, you know, some people do need to script it out because, you know, they're so angry, they don't know what the heck they're going to say. So they will be nasty. Um, but I always advise my coaching clients to start with, you know, I feel. Because if you say to somebody, I feel, nobody can tell you that your feelings are wrong. But if you say, you do this and you do that, and your work is this, and you're, I mean, then there's like, a possibility like, well, no, it, no, I'm not. No, I didn't do this. It gets confrontational. So if you start out by just presenting how you're feeling about the situation, um, you know, I'm feeling very frustrated uh, that the work is not up to par because I know you can do so much better. And here's an example. 
um, that's that's going to that's going to set the conversation up for success much more than, as you mentioned, you know, violence, which I'm not a proponent of in <laughs> any way. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to make people defensive and we don't want to be defensive ourselves. No, no. And there's no need for that. And, you know, you always have to know where you want to go. Right. What do you what's what's the end goal here? And so when you get clear on that, then you can set up the conversation to come out where you need to go. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Roberta, thank you so much for sharing the book with me. It's going to be launching, gosh, any minute now. And uh, <laughs> you should be really excited about it because I think it's going to do really well. Oh, thank you. I am. I, you know, don't tell my other books this, but I think it's my best. <laughs> <laughs> the more books we write, the better we get. Isn't that the way it works? I think I so. <laughs> Well, why don't you tell people how to find you and how to find a copy of the book and when it's going to launch? Well, uh, the, you guys can find me at matchesonconsulting.com. That's M-A-T-U-S-O-N consulting.com. I'm on Twitter at Matchison. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and just mention this podcast so I know who you are. <laughs> and then um, the book will launch on September 28th. And it will be available wherever you like to purchase your books. It's on Amazon for pre-order, um, Porchlight, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm, that's great. And you also said that um, you were willing to make an offer to the listeners about coaching. Could you share that with us? Yes. I am I'm happy to provide anyone who mentions this podcast a complimentary 30-minute session for you to talk with me about a difficult conversation that you may be getting ready to have. And uh, we can go through and kind of talk about some do's and don'ts and uh, make sure that you are on the right path. Or if you have a issue you wanna talk to me about as far as talent goes, attracting and retaining talent, we can do that as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, you guys really my pleasure take notice of this offer and, and mention the podcast. And That's the only way you're going to get it. I <laughs> <laughs> do it myself. So cool <laughs> to sit down with you, Roberta. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay. And everybody, the links and all of our social media will be in the blog post as well as linked to in the comments of this podcast. So thank you very much and have a gorgeous day, you guys. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.